Welcome to I Used to Be a Therapist. I'm so glad you're here with me. So how many of you struggle with sleep? Yes, I can almost hear the huge group of hands going up all over the world right now. There are so many of us who struggle with sleep, either going to sleep or staying asleep for the right amount of time or both of these things. Sleep can be a huge issue when it comes to our wellness. So today I'm sharing a conversation that I had with Dr. Julie Pelletier. She is the lead coach of a group called Embody Hope, and she has over a decade of experience as a clinical psychologist and is now in the coaching world. And you know that I love that. Julie talked with me about the importance of both sleep and dreams. Our conversation was inspiring to me, and I learned some really fun stuff I didn't know, and I always love doing that. Dr. Pelletier has lots going on in her coaching practice. You can go check it all out at embodyhope.com. I really wanted to mention that Julie is going to be running some coaching groups soon related to self-care, and that will also include lots more information on sleep. After we did this interview... Dr. Pelletier decided to do some additional training, actually, specific to insomnia, and is incorporating all of that into her coaching. Dr. Pelletier has so much to offer in our conversation. You will not want to miss this. I know it's going to add value to your day. Let's listen in. My name is Dr. Wendy Bruton, and I used to be a therapist. Welcome to my podcast. Leaving my career as a therapist, business owner, and counselor educator was a big risk. But now, as an author, coach, entrepreneur, and podcast host, I am fulfilling my passion to help people move forward toward an essentially better life. Each episode is filled with stories, information, and ideas that I know will be valuable to your life and to the lives you touch. So if you need a therapist, or just someone who used to be a therapist, I know that this is a place that you will feel valued, valuable, and learn to move forward from what you used to be. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so glad you're here and I am excited to get to talk. We're going to be talking about sleep and dreams. So right. Julie, thank you. One of my favorite topics. Good. I'm so glad you're here. Before we get started, though, talking about those two things, I would love for you to tell us just a little bit about yourself, about your family, where you live, all the things that you like to do, all that stuff. Yeah, I'm happy to share. So I am a clinical psychologist and have been for the past decade, which is kind of crazy as I say that out loud. (laughs) Um, I live in central Pennsylvania and grew up in Pennsylvania. Uh, I live with my husband and my two sons. I have a 12-year-old and a seven-year-old, and we have a dog, Lola, who kind of runs runs the show. Um, (laughs) We have a lot of fun with her. She's been loving life uh, during pandemic times because she has more walks than she's ever had in her whole life. So that's been one positive. Um, We definitely like to spend our time outside and we live right near a park at the end of our street. So we like to walk down there a lot. Uh, We like to hike and we, we pretty much are at our happiest when we're outside together. 
Uh, so that's something we like to do. And we also love family movie night. And I'm always uh, the one to make the popcorn because I put on tons of butter and salt, nice. which my sons are really happy about. Uh, and I would say personally, I've been in a time of like a lot of like personal development work and spiritual mm -hmm. growth. And so I'm really trying to just soak up so many different things right now. I've started doing a breathwork class and some kundalini yoga and uh, just connecting with like spirit guides, which is a sort of new topic in my world. And I love listening to podcasts and now love listening to I Used to Be a Therapist. <laughs> it's on my favorites list. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And, and I've also have been really trying to be intentional about staying connected with friends and family, especially now where everything is socially distanced. So doing a lot more of that through, you know, Zoom and Skype and all that good stuff. Yeah. It's so th I'm so thankful that we have this. Yes. It's so helpful. I mean, I love being able to be with people. Obviously, we all do. Right. But yes. Can you imagine doing this without having Skype or Zoom or FaceTime or something? I just can't imagine. I can't either. I would be yeah. out of work and out right. of friends, I think. So right. that we would, would kind of suck. We'd all be stuck on the couch you know, yeah, just staring exactly. into the abyss or something. <laughs> so how exciting that you live by a park, because I think that's really fun. We live out in the country, so we get to walk around out here. And I'm so thankful for that, too. So, yeah, I love taking walks. It's nice. The little things I, I was interviewing somebody today, but she said, you know, during this time, the little things are the big things. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And it really shines a light on like, I don't know what matters and, and what I can be grateful for. So yeah. that has been important. Yeah. And having meaningful. to, yeah, having to turn your mind to focus on those things. That's, yeah, that's absolutely. great. So I've been asking everybody during the series, uh, because y'all are therapists, <laughs> why you became a therapist. I would love to hear. I, I always like to hear these stories. Yes. So I, it was fun for me to reflect on this. Um, and essentially, I did not set out to be a therapist, of course. Um, I set out to be a helper person of some kind, which I, I inherited from my mom. She was a nurse for many, many, many years and a labor and delivery nurse, mm -hmm. which was really cool. And she would take me to the hospital and like I would be in that, you know, that world. Uh -huh. And so I entered college, not really sure what I wanted to be when I grow up and thought I would be maybe a pediatrician. I thought working with kids sounded good and then I could help people. And so I was a biology major all throughout college and came to my senior year and had my first real identity crisis mm. in life and realized like there was nothing about being a biology major <laughs> or being a doctor that sounded good to me. Mm -hmm. And so I had been minoring in psychology and really, I just felt like my psychology courses like spoke my language. Like it just really made sense in my brain and mm -hmm. helped me understand a lot about my own life and my family's life. And so I decided that uh, I was going to pursue psychology and, and much to my mom's chagrin, stayed in college for an extra year and double majored. And, and then 
the rest is kind of sort of history from there. I did take two more years uh, before going to graduate school and did some research in Boston at a hospital. And I think there solidified that I, I really wanted to be able to do all the one-on-one -on -one work with clients and, and really be able to help them more directly. And so that led to me going out West for grad school and getting my PhD in clinical psych. And even as I was finishing my, my graduate program on my internship, I still wasn't sure really like, what am I, what am I going to do with my life? Right. Um, but I was fortunate. I was on an internship that was um, in an outpatient clinic and really serving a lot of uh, kids and adolescents and families and really, really enjoyed that work. And also was the, the time that I got exposure to dialectical behavior therapy, uh, DBT, which is full of acronyms, <laughs> um, which I love. And that really felt pretty transformative for me. Mm -hmm. It felt like this whole beautiful set of skills on how to like navigate my own life Absolutely. and also help the clients I was working with. So from there, I guess the rest really is history because <laughs> I've been a therapist ever since in some capacity in lots of different settings. So you kind of set out to to be somebody that was just helping people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you feel like you're fulfilling that? that purpose, that why? Yeah, I do definitely feel like I fulfilled that part of my why. I think as I've gotten older and, and kind of been in the therapy world now a long time, I think my why has expanded. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think there's maybe more to do and different things to do. And, and that's kind of where I find myself right now in life, like at a, on the cusp of a transformation on how to do maybe the helping part and the fulfilling my purpose in different ways. I like how you said that your why expanded. I've, I mean, lots of times people talk about their why changing, you know, but <laughs> I think that's, that's a really good definition of that it expanded and changed to be just a bigger and have a fuller picture because you have more information. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think I've done a lot of like values clarification mm -hmm. stuff over time for myself as as I do it alongside with my clients and and that's been really helpful and really important and informative and and I'm still sort of in that process of of figuring it out and sure. figuring out what my my bigger why is on this on this earth yeah well i hope we all are right or i hope we all are continually doing that that's, that's yeah cool. exactly Okay, so I want to jump in and start talking about sleep and the importance of sleep and dreams and the importance of dreams and how all that stuff. So I'd love for you to start just by talking about the importance really in our bodies and our brains and all of that stuff of consistent and adequate sleep. So maybe even talk about what that looks like and all of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I could talk about sleep for days, but I won't because everyone will fall asleep. So and I need to sleep right. <laughs> and try to keep it concise. Um, I think of sleep as one of the most foundational parts of daily self-care that someone can engage in. Mm -hmm. And I think for many people, it's often overlooked and undervalued. Mm -hmm. And I really, I, I often will say to my clients, uh, I heard this once, I think from a, a yoga teacher back in the day, that our bodies are geniuses 
And I feel like sleep is one of those like built-in genius mechanisms that we have for restoring ourselves every single day. Mm-hmm. For me, I feel like consistent, adequate sleep, is it means just that, that like every single night I know I'm going to get enough sleep for my body and my brain and I can count on that on, on a regular basis. And I think for everyone, consistent, adequate sleep is one of those main keys for sustaining our energy levels, for promoting like an even keeled positive mood, helping us manage stress and anxiety, which goodness knows couldn't be more important right now in the times we're living in. Right. Um, and I think it's really like one of the secret ingredients to people being able to thrive and not just survive. Mm. Those are good words because I think it is almost impossible to thrive in this world without that, for sure. Exactly. Yes. Yes. What, though, gets in the way of that for many, many people, right? Like so many of us struggle with getting consistent and adequate sleep. Absolutely. Yeah. So I feel like so many people struggle and that's because there are so many things that can get in the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know I personally work with women quite a bit and work with busy like moms and the list is long. And I think for parents, it can be things like, you know, kids aren't sleeping well Mm -hmm. or developmentally, they're in a phase where they're not sleeping through the night. And, you know, then parents are, you know, having to be the person to sacrifice their sleep to tend to to those needs. I think a lot of times um, for both women and men, you know, they can have so many things just packed into their day that essentially the only time they get to actually unwind is late evening when everything's been done, everyone else is in bed. And then they end up, you know, kind of sacrificing sleep to just have any time to be by themselves, get Mm -hmm. a little bit of peace. And if you think about what do we do in those times? Well, then we're often like on our phones or on Netflix, drinking wine, zoning out, you know, before the whole cycle starts again the next day. Um, Or I think this happens a lot where all the chores get done, everyone goes to bed, and then people are having to hop back on work stuff and be on email. And now that people, a lot of people are still working from home, it's like, there is not that boundary of of work time and like, chill out, relax time. Mm -hmm. So those are big factors. The other thing is, I know for some people, you know, wine or, you know, some kind of, you know, adult beverage is a part of that wind down process. And Rates of alcohol purchases went through the roof during COVID. Um, So we know what people are doing in their spare time to try and deal with the stress and and just kind of cope and manage. Um, And I know for like moms, wine culture has really become a thing. There are like full memes about it, shirts about it, paraphernalia about it. Um, And the tricky thing is, even though I think alcohol can, can give people the illusion that they're sleeping better because they might fall asleep faster, alcohol kind of wrecks havoc on people's sleep architecture and um, just quality of sleep is Mm -hmm. not as good. So I'm I'm busting the myth that booze helps you sleep Um, because it doesn't. That's interesting. And actually, I've not heard that. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it, it will, again, kind of make you feel sleepy eventually, sure. but the quality of sleep that you're getting is just not the same as, as if you are not having a couple drinks at night. So that's something for people to consider. Uh, similarly, in terms of beverages, caffeine, you know, mm-hmm. we all talk about how we, we can't function without coffee. But if you're having too much caffeine, that can really um, wreak havoc on your sleep. And especially if you're having large quantities of caffeine or if you're having it later in the day past mm-hmm. like noon, two o'clock, that can really make it harder to fall asleep when you want to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So that can be tricky. Um, and I don't know about anyone who's listening, but I know for me, there have definitely been times of life where my day is so busy. I'm just, my mind is constantly occupied that like when I lay down to go to sleep, it's literally like the first time my brain can be like, ah, Mm -hmm. and then the worry starts and then the to-do list starts running through the head. And like, it's the time where then you're going over everything from your day and that can become kind of stressful and and lead to some anxiety or some worry um, because your mind starts to kind of run wild and have a whole, you know, agenda of its own when you're there just like desperate to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've heard it called tired, but wired, you oh, know, where interesting. That's you're a- exhausted, but just can't get your brain to shut off. Um, and then I think the tricky thing with that is once you start to realize it's taking a long time to fall asleep then the worries about not sleeping start to kick in. Mm -hmm. And that whole initial insomnia cycle can really kind of run wild as well. You know, like, how will I ever function tomorrow? I'm going to be so tired. I'm going to be a total zombie. Like, I'm not going to do a good job at work. It's like, you know, that kind of thing can become a vicious cycle. And then in the future, if you're having some bouts with insomnia, it can make you kind of avoid going to bed because you don't want to have to face the stressfulness of that. Yeah, that is true. I mean, people get into the cycle and then they don't, they don't want to go to bed or they want to go to bed, but then they get there and they just think about, am I going to fall asleep? How how long has it been since I have fallen asleep? Uh, Yeah. All of that stuff. Yeah. And then the clock watching happens, Mm -hmm. which is on my no-no list that you shouldn't (laughs) be watching the clock and ticking down like, oh my gosh, it's been a half hour. Oh my gosh, it's been an hour. Oh my gosh. Now I only have five hours to sleep, you know, and doing the whole like doomsday thinking about it. Um, So that can be uh, also leading to more stress and anxiety about sleep. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I know that, you know, we all have been uh, conditioned to be attached to our phones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so screen time at night can be not so great for our sleep because essentially when we use our screens right up until the last minute, you know, even using them in bed as we're trying to fall asleep um, or turning to them when we can't fall asleep, the whole effect of the blue light, you know, from the screen keeps your brain activated long after you're turning your screen off. And so mm-hmm. that can make it really challenging. Yeah. And, and we can turn off that blue light, but even that there's still so much stimulus that's happening in our brain because of that. It just, it's so bad for the sleep rhythms. I know that's true. It it is. There's so many things, right. That can get in the way. 
So many things. Yeah. And I think the lack of consistency, you know, not having that consistent, this is when I go to bed, this is when I wake up. Like if we think about when we're trying to get little kids to sleep, we have that set bedtime. It's like sacred, you know, and then it's like, oh, and then they get up at this time in the morning. But somehow as we get older and we're adults and we're doing all the things, we kind of lose track of of the need for that level of consistency, which can be really, really helpful for our sleep cycle and sleep patterns. Um, I also like people to take a look at their sleep environment and see if it's conducive to sleeping because sometimes it's too hot, it's too noisy. I know my husband is a snorer and I'm guessing I am not the only one out there. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it can be too bright. Those can all be factors that really do impact our ability to kind of get a good night's sleep. And then the other thing that that sometimes gets overlooked is just undiagnosed sleep disorders. Mm -hmm. um, so for myself, about five years ago, I was in a period of just being chronically fatigued and just could not, like I just felt terrible. <laughs> And it had been going on actually for probably two years at that point in time since my, my son was born um, and finally got a sleep study and found out I have sleep apnea and would not have thought that. Um, knew I was waking up a lot during the night, but, but just thought I was a light sleeper. And I don't know what I thought. I thought I had become a mother, actually. That's right. what I thought. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, to my surprise, got diagnosed with sleep apnea and uh, have to use a CPAP, which is not the, the sexiest thing in the world, but it has definitely saved my life and made me feel like a fully functioning human. That it's so important for people to go get tested for that and to because because really I have heard that people have such a different experience in life once they. Yeah get diagnosed with that and get treated for that. It just changes their whole life, right? To yes, be able to sleep. I can attest to that 100%. And so I do not love strapping into my CPAP every night, but I do think of it as like life-saving for sure. That, that's interesting. That's, that's great. So you talked about this a little bit, but I want to, I'd love for you to talk a little more about why it's important for our mental health. So having a commitment, I guess, to uh, work on sleep hygiene. Yeah, it's so it's I, important. I and I wanted to know why you think for mental health it is. Yeah, I love the way you said having a commitment, Wendy, because it really is like it is a commitment. Um, and it's, a, it's not an easy one, but it's definitely worth it. I, to me, good sleep hygiene is the key to good sleep. And then good sleep is one of the keys to good mental health. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that like certain mental health concerns like unipolar depression, bipolar depression, anxiety disorders, drug and alcohol disorders can all very much disrupt your sleep and make getting good sleep difficult. But for me, it's a two-way street. Like those things are going in both directions, right? Mm -hmm. If you think about any times in your life where you've been shortchanging yourself on quality sleep. Were you a happy human or were you really kind of a grumpy beast? Because <laughs> mm -hmm. I know for me, right. when I was going through the sleep apnea stuff before it was treated, the irritability was like through the roof. Mm -hmm. And it really did make a difference in my mood every single day, mm -hmm. which then made a difference in all my relationships every single day. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I think about things like when you're shortchanging yourself on sleep, can you focus? Can you be productive? Or are you constantly distracted and having a really hard time with getting anything done? You know, are, when you're not getting good sleep, are you your most patient self or are you snapping at everyone? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so I think if we look at, if we look at just even those basic examples, probably everyone can relate to times in life where their sleep wasn't going well and it really did have a very big impact on their mental health, their physical health, their emotional health, and just the quality of their life and their relationships. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. And, and I think research is showing so much now about how sleep impacts our life, right? It impacts the way that we function in the world. And um, there was a study that was done not too long ago, within the last five years, of people doing many different tasks on, on less than adequate sleep. And then there was another group that had been drinking. So they were legally intoxicated. Mm-hmm. And they would function at the same level in many, many tasks, driving included. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we know that it impacts the way that we are functioning, just functioning in the world, right? And being able to problem solve and being able to interact with other people and to process our thoughts and and our <laughs> process really our emotions as well. So yeah, there's so much. Yeah. And I mean, we also know in extreme forms, when people have been sleep deprived for long periods of time, they basically become psychotic. Like they can hallucinate, have delusions. I mean, really, I mean, that is yes, extreme, but, but that is all preventable Mm -hmm. by, you know, really working on good, consistent sleep habits. Mm -hmm. And even, I mean, in the physical part of that, like the studies right now on Alzheimer's just say that, you know, sleep is so important to kind of clear out all that stuff that's in our brain, right? Exactly. Yes. It gives a that, mental rinse, I think, is, is the what term they say. Heard, that's right. Which I yes. thought was really clever and, and gave you that visual of like rinsing out all the junk, all the debris, all the yuck. Yeah. And when we're not doing that, it's really bad for our health, not just now, but in the future, right? It doesn't, it doesn't clear out just if we get more sleep tomorrow, you know? So that's, that's a good point. And, and I've definitely heard, you know, people will talk about catching up on sleep, right? Like that's what the weekend's for. I'll catch up on sleep. And unfortunately, once your sleep debt builds up, it's really not easy to catch up per Mm -hmm. se. You don't necessarily get that back, Mm -hmm. but it certainly will help if you can get yourself back into a good, consistent rhythm and pattern over time. And I've also seen some research just as far as the mental health piece goes on sleep issues preceding a depression and anxiety diagnosis by 10 years, almost always. It's fascinating to me. So, I agree. So and not surprising based on my clients and just like right. the clinical work that I do and what I see. Yeah, it's so, uh, so, so important. And so have you found things that are helpful besides just getting a CPAP machine, you know, whatever, but what have you found that are maybe a few things that are tangible that people can try that will help get their sleep in a better pattern? Yes, definitely. So um, I probably use this term 
before and I really am nerdy. So I love using the term sleep hygiene. Uh It reminds me of like putting on my deodorant in the morning or taking my shower, right? And just like we do those things just on a day-to-day basis, that's exactly what sleep hygiene is. It's all of the things we're doing to positively impact our sleep and set ourselves up for having good, adequate sleep. And as a side note, I know that, you know, sleep medication is is popular and and certainly out there on the market and, and plenty of people use it. And I think, you know, sometimes have to use it. But what we know is sleep hygiene and different behavioral techniques work as well as, and really a lot of times better than sleep medications, which sleep medications are kind of problematic because they have a lot of side effects and potential for dependency. So just these cognitive behavioral um, interventions really make a huge difference and actually are very, very effective and the first line of defense if you're having sleep problems. Mm -hmm. Um, And this can be, you know, lots of different things. I have, I have a list, um, but you know, I'll, I'll run through it quickly. But just, I mentioned this before, having that consistent bedtime and wake time Mm -hmm. and really being pretty disciplined about it with yourself and doing things to relax and unwind before bedtime that aren't harmful, you know, so not alcohol, not screens. This can be things like meditation, um, reading, doing some deep breathing exercises, listening to relaxing music progressive muscle relaxation strategies, lots of stuff that you can YouTube and and have a quick video to kind of guide you through step by step. Um, Those things work really well to unwind and relax at bedtime. I think upgrading your sleep environment is important, you know, really keeping it on the cool side. Um, Having some background noise can be helpful, you know, get some nice sheets (laughs) if you can. Um, having a comfortable mattress, I have to wear sleep blinders in addition to my lovely CPAP (laughs) machine and mask. Um, But it really helps. It helps block out all the light, helps keep me sleeping throughout the night. You might need earplugs, play around with that. I think it can be really helpful to have a time in your day that's much earlier in the day where you're offloading your worries and your to-do list. And trying to kind of schedule that in and, and actually, you know, you can set a timer and write down all of the the worries on your list and have some dedicated quote unquote worry time. And that can be helpful because one, it can lead to some problem solving and like creating some plans on how to deal with the things that you're stressed about. But two, then you don't automatically kind of have to default into thinking of those things when you lie down and try to fall asleep at bedtime. So I like that strategy. That's a really uh, good strategy. Yeah. That's a, a very helpful. Yeah. Definitely keeping caffeine to a minimum earlier in the day. Same thing goes for napping. I know as adults, like napping is so luxurious in some ways mm-hmm. and, and really like, Ooh, like if I get a nap, like life is good. Um, but the downside with napping is that it really can kind of interfere with your natural kind of sleep rhythm and circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're going to take a nap, just keep it shorter, 30 to 60 minutes or less. Keeping it earlier in the day also helps so then it doesn't push back into um, your bedtime and really making it harder to fall asleep. And I think that's the other thing. If you do have some difficulty falling asleep, 
don't freak out, um, which is hard. And, you know, this is where you want to really work on some more neutral thoughts in that moment instead of the, oh my gosh, it's going to be so bad. I'm not sleeping. You know, just trying to remind yourself, yep, this is my sleep time right now. It's okay if I don't fall asleep right away. You know, then maybe trying to do some things to distract your brain. I know that for me, um, what has worked really well and has worked for different clients I've worked with too, is just trying to count your breaths and just focus on that. Mm -hmm. So that way it kind of um, directs your attention to something that's relaxing and soothing and easy for your brain to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And while you're doing that, just not watching the clock. So not watching it count down. And if you do get, get to a point where it feels like it's just taking forever to fall asleep, it can also be helpful to just actually get up and out of bed, mm-hmm. um, which I know in the cold, like fall and winter is, is not so appealing, but it can be good to break that cycle um, to just get up and out of bed, do something relaxing again, not with a screen until you're feeling just really, really, really drowsy and then getting back in bed. And, and usually by then you'll be more successful in getting yourself to sleep. So yeah. those are some of my, my top tips that I have on, on good sleep hygiene. Good. And then I'm just going to add and use essential oils. <laughs> there you go. I know you were showing me that one. That yeah. So the good. dream catcher one. We're good. And, and you can go and listen to that little bonus episode on the on Dreamcatcher and a bunch of other sleep oils, but adding essential oils can be very helpful just in calming your um, amygdala and all the different places in your brain that's, that's just activated. And so it'll, it'll help calm that and help with sleep um, rhythms and stuff. So that's great. Okay. So now I want to talk about dreams once we get to sleep, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Once we get to sleep, then sometimes we're going to have, we have dreams where we're, our body's going to dream. So I want you to talk about how dreams can help us. What do they mean for us? Just talk a little bit about what they are and your opinion anyway of what they are. <laughs> Love to hear yes. that. Yes, I am a strong believer that dreams help us. Um, so that is my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a fairly recent research article that came out and it really caught my attention because it was saying that dreams act as our overnight therapy. Mm-hmm. And I just loved that. That was like speaking my language. Um, and there was evidence in that research study to suggest that dreams really do help us process and store memories, mm-hmm. as well as kind of helping us sort through and soothe like the emotional impact of different day-to-day experiences, which we may not have realized really did affect us in pretty meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm a very vivid dreamer. I have been for as long as I can remember. Uh, I pretty much start every morning off talking to my husband or kids saying, I had the craziest dream. Let me tell you about it. Um, so I, I have just had a lot of curiosity about dreams throughout the years and trying to understand for myself what I was experiencing as well as my clients. Um, I got so curious about dreams that I started keeping a dream journal by my bed over the last I'd say a year or two. Uh, so I that so then I can jot down, like as soon as I wake up in the morning, I just like jot things down. And the handwriting, if you read it, is just like ridiculous because <laughs> I'm like one bleary eye open while I'm scroll, like scroll, scrolling it down. Um, 
but I really think that has helped me remember my dreams more by focusing in more on them. Um, I think my opinion is that dreams are really a way of working through different Mm -hmm. emotional things, including times of internal conflict Mm -hmm. um, when we're really struggling with either decisions or just things that are happening in our lives. I also believe dreams can be very symbolic Mm -hmm. with representations of you know, different, different signs, different symbols, but also maybe representing even different parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of uh, really cool dream interpretation to be had. And so, yeah, I love, I love dreams. I think they're fascinating. I love that interpretation. I think that's great. I think it's so true that, that our dreams can just be our brain processing what just happened in our life or what what it needs to process. Maybe it needs to process exactly. something that happened a long time ago and it just needs to do that to put all the things in order for us to be able to make sense of the world and to make sense of our inner world and and the world around us. I I think that's that's beautiful. So I want you though sometimes dreams are really funny and crazy, right? And weird. And sometimes they're great dreams and we don't want to wake up from them and they're fun and funny, right? But sometimes they're scary and yucky and hard and we don't want to think about them. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about nightmares and just talk about what they are and how people deal with them and all that stuff. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think nightmares are lots of different things to different people. I think in in extreme forms, we know that nightmares can be a symptom of Mm post-traumatic stress disorder for someone who has experienced trauma in their lives and Mm -hmm. and is a way that, that again, their brain and their body is is kind of processing that trauma, Mm -hmm. oftentimes on a repetitive, recurrent basis. Mm-hmm. Um, for others, they just have scary dreams from time to time. And, and that is still very anxiety provoking and can be really worrisome. And I think- And it can get in having, the way of sleep. Oh, go ahead. It can get in the way of sleep. Exactly. That's just what I was going to say. Yeah, you're reading my mind. Um, like when people are having frequent nightmares, for sure, it can it can get in the way of sleep. It can disrupt their sleep in mm-hmm. that they might wake up from a nightmare um, being startled. I've had some clients wake up having a panic attack mm-hmm. and really needing a lot of time to, to be able to regulate and kind mm-hmm. of get their uh, sympathetic nervous system, you know, back kind of in a better place. Um, for other clients, I think it can become a way of, of sort of avoiding sleep mm-hmm. because they're worried about having nightmares and really don't want to go to sleep to face that or don't know how to be able to kind of deal with the nightmares and mm-hmm. and stop them from happening. So I think there's a lot of different ways that it can impact people and, and be really, really difficult and really challenging. Mm-hmm. And so talk a little bit about the nightmare protocol that you use, you use with your clients, or if maybe you have something different than DBTs. Yeah, I, I have uh, really gravitated towards um more of the DBT-based nightmare protocol that's out there um, because it uses a combination of a rescripting technique, which I really like. It allows people to kind of be creative and and be empowered and have some control, which I think when you're having a nightmare, it can feel so out of your control and really that adds to kind of the terror. Um, I also like with the 
with the protocol that I use, um, it combines some relaxation skills and some rehearsal. Um, so it can kind of, it builds the relaxation response and people being able to know how to regulate their emotions and being able to feel more relaxed when they want to, as well as the rehearsal kind of builds their mastery and feeling like they're, they are kind of gaining control over something that feels really scary. And so it basically involves having clients practice different relaxation skills so that they become really familiar and really um, adept at using them. And they know how to relax their body and their brain when they need to. Um, the rescripting part is them choosing usually a piece of a recurrent nightmare and kind of writing out all of the different components in, in detail. You know, that means what did they smell? What did they hear? What did they see? What did they touch? How did they feel? What were they thinking? Like all of these very vivid descriptive components. Mm -hmm. um, but the rescripting part is essentially where they get to, you know, in their dream or in their nightmare before the scary traumatic thing happened, they get to put a different ending on it. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where you see clients be really creative because it doesn't have to be something normal. It can be something fantastical. It can be like all of a sudden, you know, they morphed into superwoman and, you know, were able yeah. to fly out of the scene and, yes, you know, it's a dream. save the day. It's a dream. And so they get to exactly. choose whatever they want to do and make it anything they want. Exactly. Yeah. And, and whatever is going to really elicit that more positive emotion. And again, that feeling of control and power, which can be really helpful to restore. Mm -hmm. And then the, the rehearsal part comes in, in having them kind of go over that new scripted version multiple times. And this can be like right before bed when they've done their relaxation strategy and are in more of that calm mind state. It can also be different times during the day. The more, the better, because again, the more their brain can kind of practice and rehearse that, the more likely it is they're going to see success in reducing the frequency and intensity of the nightmares over time. Mm -hmm. And I have actually found the more they can rescript in a fantastical way, right? The, the more magical and, and crazy almost it is, the better it is. Yeah. It, it becomes, yeah. yeah, it takes away some of the seriousness of, of the feeling of the, of the dream. So I will put the link to the DBT nightmare protocol in the, in the show notes so that people can go there and look. And I mean, you can actually do this without anybody else. You can, if you're having nightmares out there and, or, you know, somebody who is, you can go through these steps on your own. It's, it's helpful. They can be very, very helpful. Certainly it's helpful to have a, you know, to getting connected with a therapist or a coach and have them help you or just walk alongside with you, you know, these kinds of things, but you can do it. So I'll put that in just the link in the show notes for everybody. Awesome. Okay. Is there anything else? This has been so exciting. So, so fun. So interesting. It has been fun. I agree. Yeah. So is there anything else before we move on? Maybe something tangible or I don't know. Anything else you want to say about sleep or dreams? I would say above anything else, my take home that I would want people to walk away with is to really 
start to relentlessly prioritize your sleep Mm. above almost anything else. And your sleep hygiene doesn't have to be perfect to really see improvements. So starting with whatever sleep hygiene thing sounds more doable, more realistic in your life, that's exactly where I would say to start. Mm -hmm. And I really feel hopeful that you will see improvements soon. You got to prioritize it. That's where it starts. And it feels in many, many people's lives. I know in young mama's lives that are working hard out there and, and I don't know, just lots of us, it feels hard and, and it uh, it feels like not a priority. Right. And it feels like there's so many other things that are, that are pressing at us that are more important than this right now. And, you know, I'll be able to just catch up on the weekend or whatever that is. But I agree with you. It's something that you have to do, not just for yourself, but for the people around you and your relationships and your future, you know? And yes, your longevity on this planet. Yeah, that's true. I agree. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much for all that information and your wisdom and your insights. I love that. I want to hear, and I know everybody else will too. How can people get in touch with you? I mean, what do you have out there that we need to know about? Yes. So I, I feel like I'm at sort of this exciting transition time in my career. So I'm kind of phasing out of a nine to five gig back into some private practice work Um, while simultaneously kind of working on some online offers. So I am in the process of developing a course on one component of self-care and well-being for women, which kind of reflects my therapy specialty area, which is uh, recovering from disordered eating and negative body image. And now after this conversation, I'm like, I think I need to do this little mini sleep course. I don't know. I'm getting really fired up. So that might be on the horizon as well. Thanks to you, Wendy. Um, and yeah, I think in the future, I'm going to be offering a monthly membership for women to offer um, content and guest speakers and lots of things uh, related to all things wellness and holistic kind of soul level self-care, as I call it, that. Um, so that women can really be getting all the support they need to take care of their bodies, minds, hearts, souls, relationships, all of it. Well, I need uh, to but, be a guest yeah. on that for sure. Yeah. So for now, I think people can uh, check out my website, which is embodyhope.com. And I also have a free Facebook group for busy working mamas called Surviving to Thriving, Support for Working Women, um, or Working Moms, actually. And on Instagram, my Instagram is coach underscore Julie Pelletier. And those are all the places that you can find me. Well, I will put all those links in the show notes. Thank you. And I know people will want to hunt you down. So, uh, okay. Now for the last three questions that I ask everybody on my podcast, yes. I'm excited to hear your answers. Um, the first <laughs> one is an event that changed you. Yes. So, oh, I was grappling with this one, but I think safely, it is safe to say that the event that has changed me the most was in 2011, um, when we were expecting our daughter and she was born early and actually died at birth. Mm. And so 
that has been more transformational than anything else I can think of in my, in my lifetime so far. That's a huge event. It does. It it changes everything. Yeah, it did. It changed everything. Uh, Yeah. It changed my whole outlook on life. It changed my whole outlook on grief. It changed my whole outlook on my purpose in the world Mm -hmm. and, and really um, how I want to spend my time in the world Mm -hmm. and, and changed my, my ideas on, on connections to kind of, I don't know, people who've passed. Mm -hmm. So it's been really transformational in a lot of ways, deeply sad, of course, but Mm -hmm. um, something that has, has changed me for good. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Okay. A person who changed you. Yes. Uh, That is going to be my husband Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) who I've known for 20 years and uh, I had to check this because I was like, am I remembering this right after this many years? But in our wedding vows, which we wrote ourselves, I, I wrote that he was the most interesting and engaging human I had ever met, uh, who made me laugh every single day since I met him. And that is still true 15 years later after being married and 15 years later, the ups and downs of our crazy life we've had, uh, including him having uh, a massive brain injury and two brain surgeries in a week, three years ago, oh and recovering gosh. from that. And so he, he has been an uh, incredible partner and also an incredible teacher. Wow. That's interesting. I'd love to hear mm-hmm. about that more someday. Yes. Okay. The third question is a book that changed you. Oh, I angst over this question because I have so many I know. books. You ask about <laughs> you ask therapists, especially folks with PhDs, about their books, and they're like, it's ridiculous. Uh, "One yeah. book? What are you talking about?" Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go with a book that's recent uh, because it's in it's front of mind, top of mind, and I I read it the whole way through instead of getting part of the way and starting ten other books, and that was uh, Super Attractor by Gabby Bernstein. I I really enjoyed that book, had not read her body of work earlier and really appreciated her focus on feeling good and making that a priority in our life, um, as well as her focus on, on connecting to spirit guides and how that can kind of guide your life in different ways. So I'm going to go with a non-therapisty, but more spiritual related book. I love that. I will put the link in the show notes so people can awesome. check that out if they want to. Thank you for being here and for sharing all that information and for just having a conversation with me. How fun. It was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you joined us. Make sure to subscribe so you can get all the episodes and you can help support our podcast by clicking the support button in the show notes or going to our website, essentiallybetterlife.com. Follow me on social at Essentially Better Life and check out my website for all kinds of information on business and personal coaching, my book, and even some great stuff on essential oils. Thanks for listening. Blessings and be well, my friends.